you know, we're really, um, I think, aware of like the negative interactions people have already had with bots. And so we were just really thoughtful about how we deployed it. And so just making sure that we were offering this as an option for people to use, not something they had to do. And then we were very thoughtful at the end of the interaction to say, if we didn't answer your questions, we're still happy to pass you through to an agent. And we think that some of that like really human-centered design experience really kind of played into deploying the technology in a responsible way that was received well by our community. Welcome to the Health Pilots podcast presented by the Center for Care Innovations. This podcast is about strengthening the health and well-being of historically underinvested communities. Every episode offers new ideas and practical advice that you can apply today. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess Ortiz with the Center for Care Innovations. Today, we're talking about one of the exciting projects that Contra Costa Health Services has been working on for the past two and a half years. Our hope is that by sharing the highs and lows of this digital health solution, safety net organizations can apply the lessons learned to their own challenges. I'm here with Matt White, member of our Tech Hub Learning Network, which is 14 tech forward California-based community health centers, clinic coalitions, and primary care departments in county health systems that are working to accelerate the adoption of innovative technologies. We partner with our Tech Hub members to vet, pilot, evaluate, and spread innovative digital health solutions serving Medicaid markets and historically underinvested communities. We are very excited to bring you the story today. Matt, can you introduce yourself to the listeners, share a little bit about you and your organization? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Matt White, and uh, Contra Costa Health Services is a government health county-based system, uh, primarily serving the Medicaid population in the eastern San Francisco Bay Area, uh, with approximately you know 1.2-ish uh, million residents. Uh, we also have a provider delivery network, a health plan, EMS, hazmat, environmental health, public health. So kind of an integrated. A health safety net system. And uh, I am part of our office and informatics uh, group. So I focus a lot on data and innovation and, and technology, uh, as well as human-centered design, and uh, use those skills to try and bring some new services and solutions um, into our system. Great. Thanks, Matt. And we're really happy to have you. Um, so excited to hear about the project you've been working on. And just going right into that, um, can you tell us more about the project? How did you start? Well, I think COVID happened, uh, I think is, you know, the truth of it. This vendor we actually had met with uh, prior to COVID, and I thought they had a really interesting solution. And I'd looked at a number of different kind of chat digital assistants over, you know, a year or so prior to COVID. Uh, and I just saw the amount of work uh, that was really required to do much with them uh, was was really more than than we could really take on and support. So... You know, this vendor, Hyro, who I'd looked at previously when COVID happened, I was actually reconnected to them as, as part of the you know, CCI community. So I, I kind of re-engaged and, and obviously things had changed with COVID. Uh, we needed solutions. We needed them fast. And they had a free uh, COVID product that they were already using um, at a number of other health systems. And all of a sudden, you know, we went from having hundreds of web visitors today to having you know tens of thousands of visitors a day 
and really needed to think about solutions that could scale and interact with a, a community that we hadn't really engaged with in that way before. So it was a you know good timing, good product, and kind of a, a new need for us that all kind of came together at the start of COVID and, and became one of the kind of I think success stories we had with you know taking advantage of a, of an opportunity to kind of introduce some new technologies to the health system, um, and it didn't come uh, without its challenges or doubters, and so we kind of had to um, you know grow into this as an organization, and we're still learning I think some of the best ways. To deploy this, we try and phrase things as far as an opportunity or a challenge statement. You know, this thing kind of just also happened, I think, at the right time. There's definitely been a little bit more focus on defining the problem as we've we've moved along with this partner. But to start with, it was more of a, you know, you know, how do we deflect, you know, these tens of thousands of calls a day to help people find the information and, and answers that they need from like a trusted source. Uh, and not have to call a kind of hastily put together uh, call center right around the COVID response. So how can we introduce some of these ideas around technology, self-service, you know, kind of digital assistance in a way that you know didn't offend people or or create frustration, right? Which I think a lot of us have experienced um, with some of these types of products, you know, previously. So as we started to kind of test these assumptions around the usage of a of a tool like this, um, you know, we saw a lot of really kind of positive feedback, um, a lot of really kind of successful um, interactions um, through our website, which was a relatively new channel for us to do this kind of interactive, you know, digital space for people. So essentially, people would come to the website. There would be a, a, like a little pop up that people would see. That said, you know, hi, I'm a digital assistant, and how could I help you? Um, and we tried to be really clear with people, like what we could help with, right? We didn't want people to get frustrated thinking it could do a bunch of things, and it wasn't really kind of trained to do so. Um, some of the nice things about this product was uh, we could point it towards different types of content that it would scrape daily. So as we would update information around COVID, we didn't have to go do something else to update this digital assistant, it would just kind of happen automatically. And those, those topics would be available for people uh, to search. And so it also allowed us to kind of keep a pulse um, on COVID as things would kind of continue to change. Um, we were able to use data and analytics to help us add additional features to the product. Uh, for example, um, where to find testing, right? When testing was really challenging. Where to find vaccines when vaccines were really challenging and how to kind of continue to help as the information changes. From this experience, um, we saw with COVID, and I think it was kind of an early indicator of some of the staffing challenges that were to come with people getting moved around and reallocated and burnt out and moved into different roles. And so we also really saw this as an opportunity to help with uh, automation um, in using this product to help us you know, replace staff that were potentially um, allocated towards the, the public health emergency. So uh, an example of this is um, as part of our testing and vaccine strategy, we had a large influx of people that were getting access to MyChart, um, which is our, our patient portal. And people forget passwords, right? <laughs> we're human. And people would get locked out and they would need help. And so our, our small staff that previously supported you know, those kinds of actions around usage and, and password resets, we are outsourcing it now to a third party 
And every one of those phone calls was $20. And so, um, you know, looking at the volume of password resets that we were now experiencing, there was a lot of cost that was going to it. And those agents weren't really equipped to do anything more than direct people to websites to then reset the password themselves. So we thought that that would be an easy thing to to automate. And so this kind of became our first attempt uh, using uh, this digital assistant through the call center. So we kind of, you know, we're really, um, I think, aware of like the negative interactions people have already had with bots. And so we were just really thoughtful about how we deployed it. And so just making sure that we were offering this as an option for people to use, not something they had to do. And then we were very thoughtful at the end of the interaction to say, if we didn't answer your questions, we're still happy to pass you through to an agent. And we think that some of that like really human-centered design experience really kind of played into deploying the technology in a responsible way that was received well by our community. Um, And what we saw pretty quickly was we were able to deflect 50, 60, all the way up to like, you know, 80% of the password reset calls um, by just basically offering to send a text message to somebody so that they could go to the website directly and then reset the password themselves rather than waiting on hold to talk to somebody that would essentially do the same thing. And this came with a a number of benefits, right? We could now offer self-service. We could offer service outside of hours of that call center. We allowed allowed people to be empowered and to help to, you know, participate in their their health to learn about tools that you know maybe they hadn't known were available before. So I think there were a lot of like really positive benefits that came from doing something like that. Um, and we even went and looked at the data and made sure that for the people that were calling that they actually ended up getting their password reset just to make sure we weren't creating this like extra frustration or friction where they would then have to call back um, and talk to somebody. So that was like our our kind of early I think big win that kind of justified us looking at alternate use cases for this company and and product outside of COVID and outside of some of that, you know, earlier solution that we had deployed. I just want to kind of call out to that the solution hasn't been able to support languages to the extent that we would like, but we have done some interesting things that have allowed us to learn about people that speak Spanish or Chinese or or other languages. And, and so what we've done is we've kind of deployed little, you know, suggestion buttons or options where it says, hey, if you speak Spanish, click here. Or it can actually recognize that somebody's typing Spanish. And we can at least present them with, we can't currently, you know, support this in this language, but you know, um, call here. And it's allowed us to collect some really interesting data around who's using our our websites and digital tools who would prefer to communicate with us in another language, which has allowed us to kind of focus the resources and start to understand some of those things a little better, which we didn't have before. Um, And then hopefully with time, we can start to um, develop a more complete solution that, that can support other languages. But this vendor has really allowed us to kind of do some things that we wouldn't have been able to support at all with other products in the way that that they're configured. So it's been a learning exercise and we wanted to go with what we thought was kind of the the best product, you know, even though it's continuing to develop. 
that's great, Matt. It's it's nice to hear that you're seeing um, some good outcomes. It's interesting to see how you can collect some data to maybe make a case for expanding this product, maybe to certain populations that speak different languages that might be ready to access te technology, but uh, the support for translation is just not there yet, um, but hopefully will be in the future. You did earlier talk a little bit about how the platform scrubs information for you to keep that updated. Um, what are some examples of content that's being scrubbed and put into this um, platform? Uh, so it was primarily around um, our website content. So we tried to reuse things that we had already kind of created. So uh, primarily uh, frequently asked questions around COVID um, became the basis um, for a lot of that, that knowledge. But we also are looking at expanding it to uh, other types of uh, groups within the, the health department. So for example, if I'm a, a health services member and I want to look up information about my, my member benefits, you know, currently that involves reading through a bunch of documents to, to see if things are covered or not. And you know, we're, we're in the process of, of trying to convert that you know, into, into information that could be accessed via the, the bot or we're calling it like a digital helper, digital assistant that people could also benefit from. Um, and again, we came up with that by looking at what types of questions are people asking our health plan bot and then letting that help guide us to the areas where we're spending time. So another area has been around provider searches. So um, how can we help people find appropriate providers and really improve upon that provider search uh, ability? So again, it's this whole idea of like, using data to kind of help drive what's important for people that are visiting our websites and then working with them to kind of think through what a solution could be. And we meet with them weekly. They work in two-week sprints. And so we found that we've been able to turn a lot of these things from ideas into reality within a couple of months, um, which you know has been pretty impressive. And how many different uh, bots do you have um, that you're running? Because you said you were talking about the health plan bot. Are there different types of bots that you're running on different topic areas? Yeah. So we have the, the COVID bot. We have the health plan bot uh, on the website. Um, but one of the things we learned was like very few people that use our health plan go to the website. So that was like a really powerful learning for us to think about where are people going? How are they interacting with us? And if we want to enhance our digital presence, like what should that look like? So we've actually reinvested in some of our, our website products, our digital tools, our, our outreach and communication. And we're starting to use opportunities where people may call us to offer them services that they can access themselves now, you know, via you know, the portal, via a website, and help in that kind of digital transformation, you know, that people talk about and what those, you know, digital front doors and things like that really should look like but also needing to understand who your population is, what they're using now, and then how do you help them you know, uh, access these newer solutions and, and what does that support look like? And I think those are the things that we're kind of trying to figure out right now, but been part of the kind of journey that we've, we've gone on. The Telehealth Improvement Community Fund is working to expand access to video visits, namely for people who have experienced economic disparities, housing and food insecurity, institutional discrimination, or violence. Join us as we continue the Accessible Video Visits series, powered by the Telehealth Improvement Community Fund. Our next webinar in the series, entitled 
set up for success, supporting patients and providers through video visits, is on April 5th at 12 p.m. Pacific. Learn promising practices from leading community health innovators in the field to enhance video visit delivery and how you can equip your clinic for a new era of virtual care. Register for the free webinar today by visiting careinnovations.org events or visit the link in our show notes. I'm also wondering, earlier you were talking about using the bot to help folks with their password management and folks that are forgetting their passwords and like it takes a lot of support to do that. How long did it take to go from like that idea of, oh, we can use this for password reset to actually implementing that in practice, Contra Costa? Um, I mean, I think it was, again, kind of done within a couple of months. You know, I really appreciate a, a company that can move quickly. And they also challenge us sometimes to think about what is the minimum viable product that we need to do something better than what we have and to learn more um, as we go versus this tendency of spending six months or a year on something to try and get it quote unquote right. And then, you know, only to realize that half of what you did needs to be undone. So it's a, it's a different approach to working together, but um, it's been enjoyable. And, And part of this work is how do you create the kind of culture that feels comfortable with doing that so that you can kind of work well together. So, Matt, could you share with the listeners um, any key results of your project so far? I know you mentioned some numbers earlier about the folks that were a number of folks that were accessing this bot that you're using. Is there anything else that you can share maybe about how this was received by um, staff at Contra Costa? I can share a few things. I mean, um, you know, I think from an informational perspective, we always were sampling the conversations so we could actually see the the specific conversations that happened with any kind of personal identifying information automatically removed but we were able to at least see that you know, often 90 or 100 percent of the sample basically received the best response that we would have wanted to provide which was always kind of gave us a good level of confidence that you know the solution was working and and so and it also gave us opportunities to look for what we call missing knowledge uh, or things that we could make better, which again is a really nice feedback loop to have. So that was um, early on uh, one of the things we looked for. Also, uh, our, our vendor was able to provide us with some benchmarks around what a good engagement rate looked like. Um, we also kind of changed the the intro or the topics, right, to try and kind of appeal to what we thought we could be most helpful with, which I think was was useful. And then we also would track conversion rates on various activities. So if we knew that a certain path should result in some sort of expected action, you know, were we seeing that? And so those were some things that we we used to kind of give us some confidence. Um, I did mention earlier some of the work around the password reset and looking at kind of the percentage of password resets that we were getting through through Hiro versus um, our our outsourced partner and sampling a you know to see that people were truly getting their password resets was another area that we kind of collected some data and did some work. And then I most recently, you know, something that I'm pretty excited about is that, um, you know, our member services call center, you know, we've done some analysis and looked at, you know, about a third of the total calls are around changing their provider. So it's been an area that we're, we're digging into and we think we can make a really like meaningful impact. And, and part of that challenge is, is information about the providers kind of lives in different systems. So really thinking about how you can kind of bring that together. And not to say that we didn't have attempts to do that before, like 
we had a web form, right? But like I said, people weren't really used to our website. So people weren't really going and looking for it. Then we added a message to the phone system, right? Saying, you know, while people are on hold, if you want, you can go to our website, cchealth.org slash health plan and fill out the form. There was a very minor increase in the number of people that dropped off the phone, went to the website, filled out the form. So working with Hyro, we just said, hey, what's the minimum change that we kind of need to make to feel like we could really make an impact on this? And so we decided to say, instead of just telling people drop off the phone and go to the website, we're going to send you the link. So if you're interested in having us send you the link to go to this website, you know, we'll do that now. And just by doing that small change, you know, we were able to deflect, uh, you know, 20, 30% of, you know, people wanting to make the PCP change. And while there's still a lot of things that we're investigating to improve those numbers, I think it's just, you know, important to put yourself in that, you know, member or person journey and think about the experience and go, you know, like, what could we do here to make this easier for somebody? And then do you get the expected result? Um, and that's allowed us to then say, okay, you know what? People want to do this, right? People don't want to wait on hold. They want another option. And then you can use those data points to really kind of drive what that next action is. And we've got a number of things that we're, we're playing around with now to really try and make a difference. That leads me to think of how is that working? Like, so you have folks calling to the call center and is there some sort of connection or integration with Hiro um, where they press a button and then hi- it triggers Hiro to send a message? Um, could you just touch on how that works a little bit more? Sure. Um, unfortunately, you still call in and you get the IVR phone tree, right? We have we have dreams of replacing parts of that with some more kind of natural language, but but for the moment, again, it's it's starting small and, and looking for where you think you can make the biggest impact. There are ways to do more advanced levels of integration. So we could say, for example, if the whole if the hold time is less than two minutes, maybe we won't even try and transfer the person, right? But if the hold time is 10 plus minutes, then we want them to get this. So there are ways of kind of making it even more intelligent. But for the moment, we've started with just a basic call transfer. So we, we ask somebody, is this the reason why you're calling? And are you interested in having a digital tool help you with this? And if they say yes, then we say, you know, is this the phone number that you're calling from that we can send, you know, a text message to you to help you complete this change? And if they say yes, then we send it. They say no, then we get the appropriate information and then we send it. And then we still ask at the end, is there anything else that you would like us to help you with so that we can get you back to an agent? So we don't just assume that that's the end of the the interaction, right? So we've tried to deploy in a way where we tell them what to expect, we deliver what we expect, and then we still try and see if there's something else we can help them with. And we feel like that's been a good way to approach this type of technology. Thanks for explaining that, Matt. Moving on to, I, I see how this is working. It's been successful in some ways. It's been helping um, patients get connected um, when they are forgetting their passwords, which I know is a huge challenge. I'd love to hear about what the biggest challenges have been so far um, in this project and any advice you have for listeners in thinking about implementing a similar technology. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the challenges is always, you know, getting alignment with the sponsor or the requester operations, right? I mean, it's it's easy to do the technology part, 
I mean, even then it requires coordination, right? You're working across teams, you're working across systems. Um, there's often, you know, integrations and things that need to happen. But I always think the, the technology piece is relatively easy to, to figure out. It's the, you know, the coordination with the human side of things and change management that, that always kind of come into play. So, you know, as much as possible, we've tried to include our, our customers as part of the work. So it's like, if you want us to do something for you, like, you know, we, we want you to come to the meetings. We want you to participate in the solution design. We want you to be part of testing the solution. Um, and we want you to get credit, right, when things work. And so I think that's been, you know, a learning as we've gone through it. And some groups have been more willing to um, participate, right, um, in the process. But we do feel like that's really led to, you know, more timely solutions that deliver more value. So that's been the approach that we've taken. And then I think it's always, um, how do you track what is working and isn't working? And, and just because something worked a couple of months ago doesn't mean it's going to continue to work. We often found that somebody would go in and make changes to the, the call tree, right? And messaging was different and things got moved. And then we would, we would see that. We would see a, a decrease in the, the outcomes that we were tracking. But if we weren't doing that, we wouldn't have known, right? <laughs> so it's, it's how do you create the structures around the work that you're doing so that you don't re- revert back to the previous state and how you can kind of continue the work and improve and then ultimately, like, you know, figuring out what your process measures are, what your outcome measures are, and to make sure that you're delivering value with the work you're doing. You know, I make it sound like it's not that hard, but it, it's it's work, right, to, to get these solutions deployed. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're going out and you're, you're you know, paying for a bunch of these services and then not getting the value from them. So thanks for sharing about your challenges, uh, Matt. I'm wondering... You're talking about how it's really important to have some sort of structure to know what's working well, what's not. Do you have any advice, anything that you've tried in creating structure that maybe others can learn from? I will say that, um, you know, working with some earlier stage startups, you know, they usually want to be really helpful. And I think it's important to make sure to pick things to work on that align with your priorities and their priorities or at least you're really clear on the expectations of why you're doing something and, and how long you're going to be doing it for and you know what you're hoping to get out of it just so you know your paths kind of stay stay aligned so that's been a lesson that I've learned um, with with various startups that I've I've worked with at this point and it's also you know as as you become like a reference customer for them and they usually do a little bit more for you and you know it's how do you develop that kind of relationship that's that's focused on the solution in the problem space that that they're trying to solve and i think you know that i think has worked out well for us and then i think internally um like i said it's 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 setting some expectations and it's making sure that you uh have the right people that have some skin in the game and it, it is helpful to have you know the priorities i guess aligned you know internally with what is it we're doing? Why are we doing it? You know, and and have have some data to support it. You know, um, they're not cheap, but you know, if the solutions deliver the value, I think you know, in healthcare we're too often focused on cost instead of this idea of value and and understanding 
the reasons like why you're doing something and, and recognizing that the, the skill set of the work may change as you deploy these tools and just thinking about how do you then support that, um, I think is another kind of important consideration for the work, you know, and something that we're still, we're still working through, but, um, the, the idea of how do you, how do you transition this stuff, uh, from, from, you know, uh, an idea to a solution to operations, uh, so that you can actually do more of this, right. And you don't get slowed down, um, because of the good work that you've already done. When you're talking about skills and, and training, are we talking about the, the workforce? And as this changes, as you implement these technologies and it kind of shifts the different roles that people are playing. I mean, I think that's a big topic of conversation when we're thinking about AI in general and like what's good work going to look like in the future and thinking about how, like, how can we best u- utilize people's skills and evolve those skills over time to meet the human needs, right? Versus what um, some of these technologies can do. Um, I'm curious as we um, kind of wrap up this conversation, where you are now with this project and is there any next steps, um, any next project involved with Hyro? What's the status update at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think we're always looking for new use cases. You know, I think we'd really like to start to take advantage of more of the, the natural language abilities. So if somebody calls in, instead of saying, I'm going to read you six options, that's going to take a minute right? We can just say, why are you calling? And then we can match people to the appropriate response, right? It's just a much more kind of natural way of, of, of talking and just want to be thoughtful that uh, it provides the level of experience, you know, that, that we want. But I think that's an area we'd like to do more of. And it also allows us to get more data and analytics and really understand those conversations, which, which, we're, which we're missing right now. We also want to enable more self-service options, especially for people that don't have my chart. So if people want to schedule an appointment, change an appointment, cancel an appointment, how can we enable more of those things through voice or text people a link, you know, when they call and allows them to kind of continue um, a conversation via a chat assist um, and then potentially escalate right to a live agent or something, depending on the conversation or at least capture that conversation so the agent has that context, right? And I think we we get that experience with Amazon. We get that experience with, with airlines now um, and, and banking. So it's like, how do we start to deliver that in, in healthcare, right? And really make it easier for... And again, it's, it's part of Hyro's approach is once you have a solution is you can deploy it via various channels. So you can enable it via text, via voice, via web, right? And so you kind of can start to provide that consistent experience across different channels. So that's that's some of the areas that we're hoping to go next. That's exciting, Matt. Well, really looking forward to continue following the work that you're doing um, with Hyro. Of course, you're, you are one of the most innovative organizations and team at Contra Costa in California and I would also say across the country. Um, so really looking forward to hearing more um, about the work that you are doing. And thank you for spending the time with us and and sharing your experience with us today. So thank you so much for all you do and appreciate the time. Thank you for tuning in to Health Pilots, hosted by the Center for Care Innovations with podcast production services by Wayfair Recording Company. If you like what you heard, please spread the word and be sure to subscribe where you listen to podcasts. 
For more information about the Center for Care Innovations or for upcoming programming events and funding opportunities, please visit our website, careinnovations.org, and connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll catch you here on the next episode of Health Pilots.